there's always a lot further than me. <laughs> you guys should know that by now. Wonderful. Turn with me to Second Chronicles, chapter 17. I've been assigned to preach on Jehoshaphat. I'll tell you what. I have really come to enjoy the King Jehoshaphat. One, we're the same age. He started ruling at age 35. I'm age 35, and I was like, man, he rules a kingdom, and I rule a kingdom. Mine's a little smaller, my thousand square feet, a couple thousand miles, but you know what? All said and done, we're both, you know, kings in our own minds. No. Um, but I also like to think that like him, he was a good king. All said and done, he sought after the Lord. Now, I don't have my name written in scripture as someone who sought after the Lord, but I like to think that I try. Um, so Jehoshaphat, Second Chronicles chapter 17, there are five and a half chapters, roughly, in Scripture about Jehoshaphat. A lot of great stories. Uh, this, this morning, we are not going to look in crazy depth on any one story. We're going to try and do an overview of his life and touch on a lot of stories and hopefully pick out some of the, the highlights that we can get from each story on what's applicable to our life, what can we learn from him. Uh, the do's and don'ts. Um, if you want to, go spend some time at home studying more about his life. It's, it's, it's good. There's a lot actually written about Jehoshaphat in Scripture. Um, so let's open our time in prayer real quick, and then we'll get to the Word. Lord God, we thanks again for the opportunity to look into your Word, your Holy Scripture. Lord, we know that your Word is perfect. I pray that as I speak this morning, that it would not be my words, but it would be yours. For I am just a, for I am just a man. I pray that your Holy Spirit would do a much and reveal to us what you have us to learn. In your son's name we pray. Amen. All right. Second Chronicles chapter 17. So, he is the son of Asa. We learned about him last week. Jehoshaphat, verse 1. His son succeeded him as king and strengthened himself against Israel. He stationed troops in all the fortified cities of Judah. He put garrisons in Judah and in the towns of Ephraim that his father Asa had captured. The Lord was with Jehoshaphat because in his early years he walked in the ways of his father David had followed. He did not consult the Baals, but sought the God of his father, and followed his commands rather than the practices of Israel. The Lord established the kingdom under his control, and all Judah brought gifts to Jehoshaphat, so that he had great wealth and honor. His heart was devoted to the ways of the Lord. Furthermore, he removed the high places and the Asherah pole from Judah. Wow, that's a great start to his life, right? Man, he had a heart after David who sought the Lord, who loved the Lord, and followed the Lord. That's a great description about him. That would be great to have your name recorded in Scripture or in history when people look back at you. Not that you want to leave a massive legacy about who you are, but to know that that was a godly man. That was a godly woman who loved God with their whole heart. 
Now, what do we see him do when he first steps into office as king? Well, he goes like his father did, and he fortifies the nation. He's at time of peace right now, and as we looked last week at uh, King Asa, when times of peace were there, he fortified his nation uh, against future attacks. We looked at how that is a great thing for us to do in our own lives. When there is time of peace in our we should not just sit still, that we should be proactive and securing our hearts and growing with the Lord and fortifying our lives and our foundation in Him so that when the rough times of life come, we are firmly rooted in the joy of the Lord. Uh, and we've heard it preached many times from this pulpit, uh, and I was reminded again at care group night, that what is the purpose of walls? Is to keep other people out, right? I, I, and I love the thought that parents, fathers, mothers, we are the guardians of our homes. We need to control what goes in and out of our homes. Walls are designed to keep the world out. Bad distractions, bad influences out of the land. And that's what Jehoshaphat was doing. He was keeping the world out so that he could focus on his nation and prosper them. What are you doing in your own home, parents, to prosper your home? And I'm not talking about worldly stuff. Getting our kids better stuff, nicer stuff. What are we doing spiritually for our homes? Have you put up a spiritual wall around your house so that when worldly influences try and get in, they're blocked. They can't get through. Let's think about some examples. Um... Obviously, today in today's media culture, it's very simple for TV, all right, for your children to get on TV and watch things that are not appropriate for their age. Or, I'll mind you, not even appropriate for Christians to watch, period. Do you monitor what your children watch on TV? Have you actually sat down with them, not just, oh yeah, that's what they're watching. Have you actually sat down with your children and watched an episode to see what kind of attitude that they're watching? What kind of um, relationship to do is people on TV, how with their parents, how do they relate to them? Do you watch those things with them? Not that they have to watch every episode, all right? but do you know what they're watching? Do you know what movies they're watching? Do, I mean, this used to, the newspapers and the magazines used to be a thing at the time, but that's, that's kind of past now. Do you watch and look at the social media your kids look at? The, I, I'm, not, I, I, I'm not on social media much, but when I am, sometimes I go on, I am baffled sometimes by the things that children from Christian families that I know are posting, are liking, are agreeing with in the world that shows up on their screen. Either they're posting stuff about them, or they're liking what other people are saying and doing. I'm just like, oh my gosh. Like, do the parents even know what these kids are doing? Parents, you need to know what's on your kid's phone. They have the fastest link to the world's grossest sins on their phone. Are, are you paying attention to what's on their phone? What are they posting? Do you look at what your children say on their phones? Do you see what kind of things they're wearing when they get on the phone? Are you guarding them? You need to guard your children's hearts. At the same time, you got to do the same to you. Parents, we need to guard our own phones from what comes in from the world. Social media can be a great thing. 
can be a great connection, and I'm not, I'm not trying to damn all of it, but it can be okay. But I'll tell you right now, social media breeds depression, and it breeds jealousy. Because what do I see when I go on there? Dude, he just got a nice new toy. Oh, man, I wish I had that toy. Oh, they're on vacation in Hawaii again? Oh, man, why can't I ever go to Hawaii like that? Look at what restaurant they're at right now. Do you see that meal? They just took a picture of that meal. I wish I had that meal right now. What do you see? You see the best of everybody's life. Every five seconds, you, people only post the best stuff about them. They don't post the trash. They don't post the garbage about their life. They don't air out their dirty laundry on social media. They only ever air the best stuff. And you know what? That makes you jealous. And there's, there's no way around it. Because every time I look at it, the rare times I do, but when I see something, they're like, oh man, I wish that was me on top of the mountain right now with my mountain bike like they are. Oh man, I wish I was riding a NASCAR like that person right now. You know, all, all it makes you is you want stuff because other people have it. That's not healthy. That is not healthy at all. Because you're not finding satisfaction in the Lord, you're finding satisfaction in wanting something else. Parents, guard your homes. Fortify spiritual walls around your heart, around your house, to protect what comes in from the world. It does not mean isolate yourself from the world, but to guard your homes. That is your duty. To families that don't have children at home anymore, maybe they're out. Guard your home still from what comes in and what goes out. Like I'm reading, I'm reading chapter 14. Like that doesn't make sense. Here we go. Whew. Verse 7. In the third year of his reign. Now, listen guys, ready? Be with me. I'm going to read this in one fluid sentence with skipping a lot of names. So I'm going to read like six verses all sorted together as one because I don't want to read all the names. But you get the point, ready? In the third year of his reign, he sent officials to teach the towns of Judah. And with them certain Levites. They taught throughout Judah taking with them the book of the law of the Lord. And they run around to all the towns and taught the people. So in the third year of his reign, Jehoshaphat not only took upon himself to be the spiritual and physical leader of the nation, he protected him physically, set up a strong society, but he also took it upon himself to be the spiritual leader for the nation. And he sent out chosen men to go town by town, with Levites, with the word of the Lord, to teach the people. He got rid of all the religious crap that didn't belong there, that was wrong and evil before the Lord, and brought in the the word of God, and he went town by town to teach the people. Alright? In our own homes, do we have a mission and a purpose to teach our own children? I know a lot of times that we depend on the church to teach our children. We depend on our private school Christian you know, curriculum to teach our children or the homeschooling curriculum. Do we take it upon ourselves to teach our children the word of the Lord? God saw the heart of Jehoshaphat and he blessed him. He blessed him greatly for it. 
very wealthy Jehoshaphat came. Uh, we see that if you keep on reading, the Philistines, are they friends with Israel? Are they friends with Judah? Nope. The Philistines come by droves and bring him gold and gifts. The enemies all around him saw that there was fear of the Lord in that nation. And they said, here, here's stuff. We, want to be, we don't want to mess with you guys. We see God's blessing you. Here's stuff. Here's wealth. And Jehoshaphat became very wealthy. He became very powerful. He had a, over a million man army. No joke. The nations around him feared him because they saw the Lord blessing him. Do the people that you come in contact with see the Lord blessing your life? It does not mean that they need to look at you and go, Oh man, Brian's rich. That's the Lord's doing. No, because <laughs> that's not true. But do the people of the land... Do my co-workers, do my neighbors see the hand of the Lord blessing my life? How does that work? Do they see peace in my home? Most homes in the world, there's no peace in that home. It's strife, it's arguments, it's contention. All right? Hopefully when unbelievers look at a believing home, there should be an overwhelming peace and joy. Not Yes, we have children and, and you know things are chaotic at times. But overall, said and done, there is love in that home. There is peace in that home. There is stability in that home. Does the world see that about you? That when you go to work, you see God, people see God blessing you in your attitude. In the way that you deal with situations that arise. The world saw that in Jehoshaphat. Do they see that in you? Now let's get on some exciting stories about Jehoshaphat. Chapter 18. First wise move by Jehoshaphat. That was sarcasm. You ready? Now Jehoshaphat had great wealth and honor, and he allied himself with Ahab by marriage. Who's Ahab? Well, guys, remember Judah's down in the south, two tribes down there, uh, Benjamin and Judah. Up north there are ten tribes. They separated, right? Who's King Ahab? Yeah, King of Israel, right? Uh, go study him. One of the worst kings that ever existed. Who was his wife? Uh, Jezebel? Ring a, ring, a, uh, uh, ring a bell in your head? Je oh, that's a wicked one. Yeah, Jezebel's, she's no joke. She wicked. Remember the whole thing, guy cursing her, the dogs are going to lick your blood out of the streets? Yeah, yeah, it's bad. So what does he do? I'm going to marry his daughter. What? What are you thinking? Well, at first when I read it, I was like, oh, this is, this is not bad. He's bringing the nation. Because what is it? God told the Jews never to marry outside of the Jewish nation. Well, the Israelites are still Jewish. So when I looked at it at first, I was like, this is not bad. He's marrying Jew. He's marrying another Jewish woman. And he's bringing the two countries Back together, he's allying the nations. I'm like, look at this, not so bad. And you have to wait till later in his life to see what actually is so wrong about it. So, he married his daughter. Some years later, all right, let's see, uh, verse 3 Ahab, king of Israel, asked Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, 
will you go against me to Ramoth Galilee? Basically, will you go help me attack these enemies that want to kill me? There's a nation that wants to wipe out Israel. They're at war with them. And he asked King of Judah, you got a million man army. We see God blessing you. You're a strong nation. You married my daughter. Hey, you want to help us out. You want to back us up. What does Joseph say? Verse, well, halfway through verse 3. I am as you are. My people as your people. We will join you in war. All right. We're one nation now. We are a family. We don't get along. All right. We, 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 we've had a civil war. We split. But you know what? Let's get back together again. Let's unite. And I will go to war with you. I love what he says here in verse 4. But Jehoshaphat also said to the king, there's a but to this. There's a clause. I will go to war with you under one condition. The condition to give me a lot of money. No, that's not what it says. The condition that we seek the counsel of the Lord. There's a lot of wisdom in that right there, guys. A lot of wisdom. You will find when you read through Jehoshaphat's life that he consults the Lord in almost every major decision crisis of his life. It's his number one go-to thing. And we'll see that in some more stories in a minute. When it says that he inquired, that he sought after the Lord, I wanna, when I studied it in the original language, it brought to me the kind of thought that this is a repeatable, often occurring activity. Mean this, when you look at my phone, through my search history, there's a path right now, and it leads to welders. Welder, 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 welder. I've been researching welding, okay? And I wanted to buy one. Every single brand out there. All the reviews, right? It's a very, it just goes there. My phone just goes to welders right now, okay? Back and forth. It's like a well-trotted path, all right? When you go in the woods, you see deer path. Because the deers are always going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth on the same path to go get water, go to their home. Go get water, go to their home. Jehoshaphat had a well-trod, beaten down, repeated path to the Lord. This wasn't just a, I don't know what to do. Hey, maybe we should consult God. No, this was his one, number one go-to thing because he did it often. Do you consult the Lord often? Do you seek after the Lord Often in your life. It's just, it's just a habit now. You don't have to think about it. When I go to work, I can almost drive there blindly. It's the same seven miles every single day. I know how to do it. My body just does it routinely. I don't have to think about it. When I go down the road, have you ever gone, like you're going to, you're not going to work, but all of a sudden you find yourself driving to work and you're like, shoot, it's Saturday. Why am I going this way? Why did I just get on the highway? I want to actually go that way. Did anybody ever do that naturally? Right? Is that you with the Lord? Your body just naturally, whoop, I'm going to the Lord right now. Does it naturally do that? Jehoshaphat naturally did that. Any crisis, any question, anything he wanted to um, think about, had to decide upon, his first reaction was, I'm turning to the Lord. His body did it naturally. Do you do that? Do I do that? And that is a habit that must be drilled into you. It, I've heard it said that it takes over three weeks to train yourself in a habit. Routinely doing something every single day for three weeks 
then it becomes muscle memory rope. Do not think that, oh, okay, I'll consult the Lord a couple times a year. That'll be habit. No, it needs to be daily, routinely, for weeks, for it to become a habit. If you want it to become a habitual thing, you need to train yourself in that. First, let us seek the counsel of the Lord. I'm going to paraphrase some here because I don't uh, uh, run out of time. So, the king of Israel says, sure, great, let's do that. He goes and gets 400 prophets. King Ahab, right? King Ahab. Again, is he a spiritual, great guy walking with the Lord? No, his wife murdered every prophet in the land. Murdered all the priests in the land, right? So when he went and got 400 prophets, a great thing here, let's consult the Lord, I'll get 400 wise prophets here. They're not God's prophets. The Lord's prophets, they're from Baal, they're from Asher, they're from all the other religions in the world, right? And what do these guys do? Well, of course they say, hey, go do it. The Lord's on your side. You're going to win. And Jehoshaphat's looking at them going, are you serious right now? This is a joke. I'm not going to listen to them. Yo, Ahab. Yeah, that, 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 was, a, that, was, a, that was a horrible show. I, I am not believing a single thing they said. Go get me a real prophet. Go get me someone who's actually a, a voice for the Lord. Is there not a prophet of the Lord whom we can acquire of? Verse 6. The king of Israel answered Jehoshaphat, There is still one man, because there's only one left, right? Because he killed them all. There is still one man of whom we can acquire, but I hate him. Because he never prophesies anything good about me. Well, yeah, he never prophesies anything good about me, because you're wicked. You're a wicked man, so of course he's only going to bring condemnation upon you from the Lord. He has nothing good to say about you. He is Micaiah, son of Imael. The king should not say that, Jehoshaphat said. You should not say there's anything bad about him. It's just because you do bad things. All right. So they get Micaiah, they come forth, and before Micaiah reaches him, right, they got a servant, hey, go get this prophet. Bring him along. Let's see what he has to say about the Lord, what the Lord has to say to us. And along the way, the servant of King Ahab is coaching him. Say, listen, hey, there's 400 prophets here already preaching great stuff that we're going to win this war. Could you just for once say something good to the king? Because he doesn't like you. And he doesn't want to consult you, but Jehoshaphat's making him. Could you just, like, you know, just, just go along with everybody else? Even if the Lord's saying don't do it, could you just say, hey, you'll be fine. Make the, make the king feel good. What, what, what does the prophet say? Verse 13, as surely as the Lord lives, I can tell him only what my God says. As surely as the Lord lives, I can only speak the words of the Lord. Do not compromise in your life for anything. No matter how great the pressure may be, do not compromise Christians. Speak what is truth in this world. We are to be a light Speak truth. Stand up for truth. Do you think it was easy for him 
to go before the king who has already murdered and slaughtered thousands of people because he didn't like them, you think it's easy for him to go before him and have to speak truth, knowing that the king's not going to like what he has to hear. That was not an easy situation for him. Verse 14. When he arrived, the king asked him, Micaiah, shall we go to war or shall we refrain? Look what he says. I, I wish that we could see his facial expressions. I wish we could hear his tone of voice, but we can't. Now, I'll try my best to do it. Ah, go ahead, attack. Be victorious. Have a nice day. Good luck. That's kind of what he says. Then what does the king say? The king said to him, How many times must I make you swear to tell me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? My guy just kind of like said, Sure, you, you want me to lie to you? I'll, I'll lie to you. Go ahead. You'll be fine. Have a nice day. Win. And the king sees right through it. Really? You're going to lie to me like that? Micaiah's like, okay, I'll tell you the truth. Here it is. I saw all of Israel scattered on the hills like sheep without a shepherd. And the Lord said to these, these people have no master. Let each of them go in peace. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, didn't I tell you he never prophesied anything good about me, but only bad things? And he goes on to continue Basically prophesying that, yeah, the, the battle, let me get one. You're going to die, though. Israel is going to, after this battle is done, Israel will have no king. You're going to die. Now, you're not going to lose the war. You got Jehoshaphat with you. Jehoshaphat's going to be okay. But you're going to die. And Ahab's like, oh, thanks. Great. Go to jail. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. Go straight to jail. I'm done with you. That, that must have been hard. But he spoke the truth. He did not compromise. They go to war. And Jehoshaphat partnered with an evil king. And Ahab has this bright idea. Hey, Jehoshaphat, you dress up like a king. And I'm going to disguise myself like a commoner. That way they don't attack me. Because everybody wants to kill me. So I'm going to go like amongst everybody else and hide. Well, when the battle starts, the kingdom, Gilead, that's coming in, what do they want to do? They want to murder Ahab. Because they're at war with him. So he tells all the commanders, do not fight with anybody. Do not fight with your host fat. Do not fight with anybody except King Ahab's men. And go find him and kill him. So the war starts. Who's all dressed up in the kingly outfit? Well, Jehoshaphat. So, of course, everybody on the other side goes, Hey, look, there's the king. Let's go kill him. And they start going at him, start advancing on Jehoshaphat. And so they get right up on top of him going, Oh, crap. That's not, that's not King Ahab. We were told not to fight with that person. That, that's a bad move. Right? Jehoshaphat got tricked. <laughs> Ahab convinced Jehoshaphat to dress up kind of like him. So everybody would go attack him. He made a bad decision partnering up with an evil, wicked king. He got deceived a little bit there. Jehoshaphat does survive. He does get out of there. He runs back home. Ahab, hiding amongst the commoners, someone on the other side just goes, and just 
releases an arrow at whim, hits Ahab right in the chest. He lives till the end of the day, but then he dies. Um, the word of the Lord came true. Jehoshaphat partnered himself with a king who did not have the like mind of himself. When they get home, let's pick it up in verse 19, uh, chapter 19. When Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, returned safely to his palace in Jerusalem, Jehu the seer, the son of Anai, went out to meet him and said to the king, so when Jehoshaphat gets home, a prophet comes to him and speaks on behalf of the Lord. Should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? Because of this, the wrath of the Lord is upon you. Ow, ouch, that must have hurt. There is, however, some good in you, for you have rid the land of the Asherah poles and have set your heart on seeking God. Jehoshaphat, I know there's some good in you, but you made some bad decisions. You married into a wicked people. You've partnered with a wicked people. And that is not okay with me. And there are consequences now. Jehoshaphat was un equally yoked was unequally yoked with another king. Even though they were both Jews, they were unequally yoked. We read in Second Corinthians chapter 6 that when oxen are unequally yoked, they cannot perform the task set before them. Instead, working together, they are at odds with one another. We know that the Lord calls us as Christians to not be unequally yoked. And usually, we take that instantly to marriage. And certainly, that is true. Christians do not marry in with non-believing people. We know that. Because when the hard times of life come, we don't have the same foundation. Hopefully, a Christian will turn to the Lord when hard times come in life. And marriage is up and down hard times. It happens frequently. The unbelieving people will not have the same truth, will not turn to the same thing, and they'll look to the world for help, which is the wrong place to look. Being unequally yoked does not just mean marriage. There's so much more than that. It is possible to be unequally yoked in business, in friendships, in roommates. We know that Again, Paul discourages Christians from being unequally yoked in partnerships with unbelievers because believers and unbelievers, we are opposites. Just as light and darkness are opposites. For relationships to work, one or the other must abandon his moral center and move toward that of the other. More often than not, it is the believer who finds himself pressured to leave his Christian principles and forsake for the profit and growth of a business. Christians, do we partner ourselves with unbelievers? It, it, it shouldn't happen, period. It does not mean we can't be um, not friends with, but it doesn't mean that we cannot 
relate with them and talk to them and, and be around them. Okay? But the important things in life, we should not partner up with them. Christians, at the same time, it is possible for you to partner yourself with another Christian who is not of the same mind as you, who does not have the same spiritual footing as you. The friends that I had in college growing up were Christians. They went to church on Sunday. They went to Bible studies with me. But you know what? Come Friday night, they had no problem going to the bars. No problem. They felt that was within their liberty to do. And it was hard for me as a Christian to have friends who were Christians that did things that I didn't agree with. Eventually, we had to stop becoming friends because the things in my life started looking more like them, not them looking like me, even though we were both believers going to church. Oh, when I was little, we had friends whose families were believers. And we were best friends. There was a time in my life where my parents told me I could not hang out with them anymore. Even though their parents were friends and the kids were friends. In the same church, I couldn't hang out with them anymore because they were rubbing off on me bad morals. Attitudes with my parents, talking back to my mom, right? I was unequally yoked in such a way that my friends were bringing me down, even though they were other believers. Guys, we got to be careful. When you're looking for a spouse, just because they label title Christian on them, doesn't mean that you should marry them necessarily. Because if they don't have the same foundation as you, they should be stronger or equally as strong. They should draw you to the Lord, not away from the Lord. Just because they're on Christian mingle doesn't mean they're okay. Alright? you got to be careful. you got to be careful. Just because they go to the same church as you your whole life doesn't mean that their walk with the Lord is strong like yours. you got to find partnerships in your friends, in life, in business, in marriage that grow you and draw you closer to the Lord, not away from the Lord. They lead you to the Lord when times are rough. If your friends and the people that you hang out with don't do that, change your friends. Change your circle. Okay? Parents, our children don't have the ability right now necessarily to make those decisions. It was hard for me when I was 15 for my parents to tell me, you can't go to your friend's house anymore until you learn a lesson. Eventually, I was allowed to go back and hang out with them because I learned that, okay, those behaviors, I now see them in those kids. They're not to return home again. Um, <clears throat> Alright, see what other stories we can get out of Jehoshaphat here. Uh, Jehoshaphat, once he is back home, returns to the Lord. The prophet kicks some sense back into him. He returned to home. And he goes down to Beersheba and he starts a revival. The furthest, mo- the furthest south city that's part of the Jewish nation. He sends uh, prophets down there. He sends leaders down there. And he incites a revival to the Lord by preaching them 
uh, out of the, the out of the the word of the Lord, and he sends um, out judges throughout the land to help him rule the nation. He sets up men to help decide what is right, to judge the land, to help run the nations. And I like the charge that he gives these men. To the men that he sends out in verse 6, he says this, Consider carefully what you do. This is, uh, sorry, Second Chronicles 19, verse 6. I hear a lot of pages turning going, where in the world is he preaching from? All right, Second Chronicles 19, verse 6. To the men that he sends out to be his appointed judges in the land, consider carefully what you do, because you are not judging for man, but for the Lord who is with you. Whenever you give a verdict, let the fear of the Lord be upon you. Judge carefully, for the Lord your God, sorry, for with the Lord your God there is no injustice or partiality or bribery. Christians, fellow soldiers for the Lord, ambassadors for Christ here in this world, are we careful to judge? God does not like injustice. God does not like partiality. God does not like bribery. Do we stand for integrity? Do we stand up for the Lord? Do we stand up for those um, where there is injustice towards? Sometimes it's hard, but we need to be people that are fair. We need to be a people that stand up for what is right. And sometimes that means helping people uh, who are find themselves being... Uh, I'm stuck on a word. Sorry. <laughs> people who are just not getting a fair shake in life. So remember that here on earth, we represent the Lord. And that we are to be a light, we are to be God's love to the world. And that in us there should be no injustice, no impartiality, and there should be no bribery within us. Oh, this is a good story. Chapter 20. Oh, so many good stories. All right. So the Moabites, the Ammonites, and the Mennonites, okay, all three of these nations come together and they want to take out Jehoshaphat. Uh, I believe the story is accounted twice here in Scripture and in the other section in Kings. It goes kind of like this. This is Brian's paraphrasing. A servant comes running in early in the morning. Jehoshaphat's sleeping. Ah! The enemy's here! There's three nations. They're a vast army. They're huge. And they're going to kill you. They're only 15 miles down the road. Yo, life is going to end in a couple hours because this army is so big, there's no way we're going to stop them. No way. And this is how you get woken up in the morning as a king. Panic! Freak out! It's over. Life's done. Alarmed. Verse 3. Oh, sorry. Verse 2. So some men came to Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Edom. Verse 3, alarmed, 
Jehoshaphat says, hey, get the military, assemble the men, get the horses, get the chariots, get the bows and arrows, put up our defenses. Now what does he say? Let's pray and inquire of the Lord. That would not be my go-to reaction. No way. As the military leader of the nation, dude, get our men together. Let's get prepped. Let's get ready. We're going to war. Get everybody. Put a sword in everybody's hands. No, that's not what he does. He says, let us inquire of the Lord. And he puts together this massive corporate prayer praise session. It is amazing. Ready? Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord. He proclaimed a fast for all Judah. The people of Judah all came together to seek the Lord for help. Indeed, they came from every town to seek Him. He brought all the people from the nation together for a corporate prayer session. Jehoshaphat stood up, verse 5, in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord and in the front of the new courtyard and said, boom, and he goes forth and he puts this forth this big prayer. Study it in your time. The whole first half of his prayer, the first two-thirds of his prayer is this. God save us. We're dying. We're going to get defeated. No. God, you are awesome. You are holy. He worships God. In his moment of crisis, he worships God for who he is. And after he's finished praising God for his greatness, he then says, God, would you please save us too? But you come first. Your holiness, your worth comes before our problems. And while you're at it, Lord, would you please help us out? After he says the prayer, the Spirit of the Lord, verse 14, came upon Jehez, I don't know how to say his name, And he says, verse 15, Listen, King of Jehoshaphat, and all you who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army. For the battle is not yours, but God's. What are you worrying about? The battle's not yours, it's God's. God's got this. Relax. God will fight for you. You will not have to fight this battle, verse 17. Take up your positions, stand firm, and see the deliverance the Lord will give you. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged. Get out to face him tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. Jehoshaphat bowed with his face to the ground, and all the peace of Judah and Jerusalem fell down in worship before the Lord. Instead of drawing up battle plans in a time of crisis, They worship. That is so contradictory to man. That is the opposite of what we as people do. When time of crisis arrives, we set forth to fix it ourselves, Devise a plan that we can solve it ourselves. And instead, Jehoshaphat says, no, I'm going to let the Lord take care of it. And we're going to worship him. Sure enough, the next morning, they wake up, they go down, and, and when you read through it, I love his, his military strategy. The front line, he puts his strongest men, puts his best cannons, puts his best chariots, 
his strongest fighters. No. His first rows of military he puts out there are singers. Singers. And they walk down into the valley singing praises to God, not drawing their swords. And guess what they see? Blood. Because everybody's dead. The three armies, the three kings that came together, they all killed each other. And everybody is dead. They didn't have to do a single thing. The Lord delivered. It took them three days of all of Judah, going this way, going this way, back and forth, three days to carry all the plunder out of the land. They became so wealthy from that, and they didn't have to do a darn thing. God took care of them. Why? Because they sought the Lord first. God's will done God's way with God's timing receives God's blessing. You want God's blessing in your life? Sometimes it means go to worship Him first instead of trying to draw up your own plans. Actually, it means always draw, always go to Him first. Oh, I've got time for one last small story. Second Kings 3. King Ahab is dead, right? Well, his son comes on the scene. Second Kings chapter 3. Second Kings chapter 3. Israel, again, northern kingdom, right? Has a problem with uh, a king of Moab. And uh, there's going to be a war. And a king of Israel, Ahab's son, says, hey, uh, will you come along and help us out, Jehoshaphat? And Jehoshaphat again, I, again, even after being rebuked the first time, says, sure, my people are your people, and uh, I'll help you out. And they march down to go fight this war, and they wander through the desert. For seven days they marched through the desert, and the army had no more water. And we're in verse 9. The army had no more water or for the animals. What, exclaimed the king of Israel, has the Lord called us three kings together only to hand us over to Moab? Seriously, we've been wandering this desert. We're dying. Our animals are thirsty. We're going to walk into the enemy, and we're going to have no strength. It's just going to be, they're going to wipe us out. What does Jehoshaphat do again in time of peril and time of need? Is there no prophet of the Lord that we can inquire of him? Again. What's his first reaction? Let's go to the Lord. That well-beaten, trotted path that he always takes, his natural instinct reaction is go to the Lord. Once again. Sure enough, they call his prophet. You might know him. His name's Elisha. Elisha comes on the scene. In verse 14, As surely as the Lord Almighty lives, whom I serve, if I did not have respect for the presence of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, I would not have even looked at you or noticed you. But bring me a harpist. While the harpist was playing, the hand of the Lord came upon Elisha and he said this. This is what the Lord says. Make this valley full of ditches. For this is what the Lord says. You will see neither wind nor rain. That this valley will be filled with water and you and your cattle and your animals will drink. I love this. Ready? This is an easy thing for the eyes of the Lord. He will also hand you hand Moab over to you. In their time of need, they're in peril, they're dying, they're in the middle of a desert with no water. This is not going well. 
Jehoshaphat says, okay, let's inquire the Lord. Let's seek the Lord. They get Elisha, a real prophet. And the prophet says, listen, do you see any water? Nope. Is it going to rain in the desert? Nope. You know what I want you to do? Dig ditches. Dig trenches and ditches. And in the morning, you'll see what the Lord does. They wake up in the morning, and all those ditches and trenches that they dug, full of water. Miracle. That's awesome. The nation, the Moabites, come up over the hill early in the morning, and they see this valley full of water that the Lord had just put there, right? And when they look at it, they see it blood red. Blood red. They're like, oh man, this is great. They already all killed themselves. They think that the Israelites and, the Jew, and, and Judah already killed themselves so they can just walk down the hill and just take all the plunder. Well, no, sure enough, they walk down the hill and they realize that, oh, no, that, that's just water. That was just a reflection of the sun early in the morning. It, was, it looked like blood, but it's really not. And they get their butts whooped. Um, and Jehoshaphat charges after him, basically wipes out the Moabites, and they have a great, great victory. Again, because he inquired of the Lord, the difficult situation was easy for God to fix. Easy for God to fix. There are difficult times in your life, situations that you think are impossible. Can't get through this. There's no way I'm going to make it out of this. What's God's view of that? That's easy. That's an easy thing for me. To you, it looks impossible. you got to realize that I'm a big God. I'm a big God. And I got that. Sometimes we just got to back up and trust in the Lord. Time in prayer. Lord God, there are things in our life when we feel hopeless. We feel like it's impossible. We can't go through it. But to you, Lord, you have a plan. You have a plan to prosper us. Lord, we know that no matter what happens in this life, there are good things coming for us. We have eternity waiting for us. We'll see you face to face. Lord, till the time that we see you face to face in glory, I pray that we will be a people that seek, like Jehoshaphat, seek after you. We inquire of you in every moment of our life. Every trouble, every trial, every question, even in the good times, Lord, we inquire of you. May it be a habit of ours that just naturally occurs that we turn to you and seek your face. I pray that you would help us to be a people that are blessed here at Brantford Bible Chapel because we seek your will. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Guys, have a great blessed day.